Would you turn in your Bible to Luke 8? It's going to be Luke 8, 26 through 39. And I'm going to ask Grant Van Cleve to come up and read. There he is. Okay, Luke chapter 8. If you could turn there in your Bibles or your Bible app. Be going to verse, starting at verse 26, going to verse 39. If you could please stand for the reading of the word. Once again, Luke 8, starting at verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes... Or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because there were many demons who had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasene asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away. And told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word. This is. Can you hear me now? Ah, better. Okay, so uh, we are in this these these encounters that Jesus has with these individuals, where he comes into a person's life and brings this amazing transformation. So last week we looked at this leper that Jesus cleansed. Today we look at this man, this demon possessed man, and how Jesus comes to bring healing and wholeness and. And my argument all along is going to be that Jesus is still at work in the world today through his spirit, bringing wholeness and healing to human beings. And these stories give us a a glimpse of what he wants to do. Now, I don't know about you. I have so many questions about this passage, and I'm not going to answer any of those questions. This raises more questions than there are answers. Honestly, I, I just don't know what to do with this. I mean, what could it possibly mean to be possessed by a legion of demons? You know, there's 2,000 pigs. Is that like a demon per pig? But that's a lot of demons. I have no idea what that even means. Um, verse 31 is very curious. They beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. I feel like there's more to be heard about that. 
Um, why does Jesus give them permission to go into the pigs? And I didn't know that animals could be possessed, but apparently they can. And what did it mean when the pigs uh, run off into the lake? Is that judgment on the, on the demons? Is that the demons performing self-destructive behavior? What, what is going on there? There's so many questions. I feel like we're, we're getting this little glimpse into this, spirit, this larger spiritual world, and there's just this bigger world that we're just getting a little glimpse at. And for his own reasons, Luke seems satisfied not to give us the answers we might want to these questions. Um, so what I want to do this morning in light of that, I want to focus on what is clear, what is very clear. And there's two things that are very clear. First, it is very clear that there is a spiritual battle taking place in this passage. And from cover to cover in scripture, it is clear that there is a spiritual battle taking place in this world and in our lives. Uh, Perhaps most famously, we have Paul's words in Ephesians 6, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is a spiritual battle we're engaged in. And here in the West, we live in, in a secular society, okay, where science, technology, medicine has all led us as a society to say, if, if you can't measure it, if we can't see it or touch it or measure it with our measuring tools, it does not exist, And even as Christians living in a secular society, it's tempting to live every day oblivious to the fact that underneath what we can see and touch, there is this deeper reality of of spiritual reality and spiritual beings. And that is the consistent uh, message of Scripture. Um, I think I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis several times today. I think he has a good word to say on this. This is on his introduction to um, the screw tape letters. And he puts it, I think, very wisely here. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. That's what the secular, of course, society is tempted to do. Uh, The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Uh, They, the devils themselves, are equally pleased with both errors. And I think that that I think that's that's wisdom. We we want to acknowledge there's this there's this reality. We don't totally understand it. We, we don't have you know we don't totally get it. We're not going to spend all our time focused on it, but it's there and, and it's a part of of our lives. So that's the first thing is just to acknowledge there's a spiritual battle at work here. And then the the second one, the thing I want, I want to focus on about this passage, what is so clear is you get to see the end game of both sides of this battle. Like this man's situation is so extreme, such a black and white that it brings great clarity to like, what is Satan's end game with people? If Satan could just have his run of someone's life, what does he want to do? And, and what is Jesus end game? If Jesus can have his way in a person's life, what does he want to do? And it's quite clear. Satan wants to work to bring bondage and disintegration and ultimately destruction. And Jesus is at work to bring freedom and wholeness to human lives. And that's what I want us to see today is the end game of both sides. And my my point is going to be to present to us the power of Jesus to bring freedom, to bring wholeness, to bring life into human lives. Right? That's what I want to talk about today. So let's, um, let's first just consider this man for a moment. This demon-possessed guy, um, of course, that's the most obvious, thi- obvious thing about him is that he has been possessed by uh, a demon, which then turns out whose name is Legion, meaning there's multiple demons. Um, 
We don't know exactly how many. Uh, One commentator puts it this way. That word legion conveys an image of great numbers, efficient organization, and relentless strength. There's there's basically an army of, of demons at work in this guy's life. He's been completely overrun. We don't know his backstory. We don't know how he got this way. But this is where he is uh, when Jesus finds him. And I want to just consider some of the details of what, what has happened, his life is like under the influence of, ultimately, you know, Satan and these demons. Um, look at verse 27 with me. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, here's the verse detail, this man had not worn clothes. Okay, so this guy's wandering around naked. He has lost his dignity. Um, he is humiliated uh, publicly, and he doesn't even realize it, but he's not wearing clothes. Um, second, uh, he is, there, there's a restlessness to this guy, a wandering to this guy, right? He doesn't live in a house, but he lives among the tombs. He lives among uh, dead people. If you jump down to verse 29, Uh, there's an isolation to this guy. He's been driven by the demons into solitary places. So he is relationally isolated, right? He has no connection uh, with the town. And then Mark's gospel includes another detail that this guy is engaging in self-destructive behavior. So Mark's gospel says it this way, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Okay? So there's this, lack of dignity, there's a restlessness, there's uh, an isolation, there's a self-destructiveness to his behavior. If I had two words to sum up this guy's reality, it would be these. The first would be the word bondage. This guy is in bondage to a power that is so much greater than his own, that he cannot free himself from. It's kind of interesting, you know, verse 29, if you look at the beginning of that, or the middle of that, it says, um, Though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains. So there's sort of an irony. Like this, this guy can't be chained. He, the, the bondage has actually given him a certain kind of strength. He's got superhuman strength, and no human can chain him, and yet he's completely chained and bound by, by the power of, of Satan in his life. So bondage is the first word. And then the second word that came to mind for me is uh, the word disintegration. Like, this guy has experienced complete disintegration, meaning uh, he lacks an integrated self, if I could put it that way. He lacks an integrated self. His, his mind is disconnected from itself. Uh, his mind is disconnected with his body as he's, he's cutting himself. He's been cut off from human relationships. He's been cut off from all the blessings of his God and his people. He is disintegrated. He is scarcely human anymore. He has become much more like a beast than a human being. So the influence of Satan has taken this, this image bearer and rendered him more like a beast. And it's just this, I mean, I, to me, this is probably the most devastating description of any person in the gospel accounts. I mean, just utterly bound and disintegrated. Just so sad. And again, we don't know. I mean, this guy was probably, at some point, he wasn't this way. We don't know what happened to bring him to this point of just utter devastation. But my point being is he is this extreme example that, that reveals to us what Satan's end game is. If Satan can have his way in a person's life, this is what he wants to do. He wants to bring about bondage and disintegration and destruction. Okay? That's what he wants to do. It's very clear here. And I'm saying this because what I want to argue is that in daily life, that doesn't feel so clear. 
right? Like in daily life, we don't see the end game. When we experience the the temptations of life, the temptations that Satan would want to pull us into, um, we're not looking at the end game when we consider those things, right? Like when you're tempted by something, bless you. Um, When you're tempted by something, you're not thinking, oh, cool, this is an opportunity to experience bondage, disintegration, and destruction, right? I should, I should pursue this. That, 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 this is a great opportunity for it. No, you're, you're, you're pursuing something because you experience it as an opportunity for precisely the opposite, right? Like, hey, maybe this will bring more freedom to my life. Maybe this will bring more pleasure to my life or, or more security or more significance or more satisfaction, right? I mean, you're looking at a computer, right? And all of a sudden this image pops up. You maybe weren't even searching for it. And it feels in the moment, it feels like an opportunity for, for freedom, for satisfaction for or for numbing of some pain you're experiencing or you're in an argument with someone and, and everything in you wants just to chew them out and just you know lay it on them and that that temptation feels like an opportunity <laughs> to experience great satisfaction in the moment right we never think of these things as opportunities to experience disintegration and destruction they come to us as opportunities for freedom and, and, and significance and satisfaction and whatever else and so it's good to see the end game <laughs> Satan is not interested in your pleasure. Satan is not interested in your satisfaction. If he can have his way, this is where he wants to take you, where he took this man. Um, again, C.S. Lewis, screw tape letters. Uh, there's a great quote. So the screw tape letters is this obviously fictional account of a senior demon writing to a junior demon about how to like tempt human beings. Okay, that's so the writer here is a senior demon, but the, the context is hey, Satan, he'll use pleasure, but that his end game is not pleasure. I mean, that's a means to him, but his end game is destruction. I love this. So this is the demon speaking. He says, pleasure is God's invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce a single one. All we can do is encourage humans to take the pleasures which God has produced and use them at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural and least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. Isn't that good? He'll use pleasure, but pleasure is not his end game. (laughs) He wants to bring about destruction, ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Again, we see it clearly in this passage, but in life it's usually not that clear. And so I think we all have um, experiences in our lives where we, you know, where we have these certain temptations and certain temptations come naturally to each one of us. Okay. Um, there are, there are, each one of us has areas of our lives uh, where I would say we experience um, maybe where we're chronically susceptible <laughs> to certain things. We're particularly weak to certain things. We've given into sin a bunch again and again in certain areas of our lives. And, and I'm not saying that Satan is always the direct cause of our temptation, okay? Um, we also have our own natural sinful nature that wants to do the wrong things. We also have a world system that has values that would draw us away from the values of God. And of course, there are spiritual forces. So I'm not, not giving Satan more credit than he deserves here. Um, but all of these things come together in, in, in very unique ways in each one of us, where there are areas of our lives where I would say we, we experience being chronically susceptible. We're particularly weak. Um, we might even call those um, these strongholds 
that the enemy has in our lives, even as Christians. This, this area of my life, I've re- I experienced re- repeated failure again. It's just kind of the, the thing I deal with. Okay? It, could be, it could be lust. Um, it could be greed. Well, always wanting more. What was that? Oh, water. Uh, more money. Um, it could be um, things like fear and anxiety that we just constantly give into. It could be a, a substance or, or some sort of addiction that, that we continue to go back to. It could be uh, seeking approval from other people and needing that so desperately. And sometimes this stuff dresses itself up in very religious ways. I mean, it can be like self-righteousness, this, this moralism that we fall into and makes us feel like I'm really, I'm really good. And then we start thinking we're better than other people. It could be these areas of resentment that have, that have kind of gotten inside our hearts and that we live with and we constantly go back to. Okay. These, these places, I want you right now to actually identify for yourself. Where are you chronically susceptible? Where would you experience what you might even call bondage or at least a stronghold that is this area of your life? What, what is it for you? Where you, you can say like, that guy, that man in the story, that's extreme, but I can rate, relate to a little bit of that in this area of my life. Okay, I want you to identify that. What is that for you? You might have more than one, of course. But I think what we see, what, what Lewis says is, is so true, right? These, these temptations start as opportunities for something good. I mean, addiction is, is the, the obvious one, right? Like there's some activity or, or there's some substance that at some point in your life promised freedom, right? Like this felt like this was going to promise freedom or satisfaction, or at least it would numb this deep pain I was experiencing. But over time, what it leads to is those two things, bondage, what seemed to make me more free has made me bound. I can't stop this thing, right? And disintegration. I am not as integrated. I've got this part of me over here. It's the secret thing that's a part of my life that is not integrated to my public self, to the, my everyday self. I am disintegrated, all right? And it can be something as, as, um, something as simple as, as like um, people-pleasing. You know, I, I know some people, please. I've met some in my lifetime. Uh, approval seekers, where at some point you make this deal with your heart that is, I, if I can get people to like me, if I can get everyone to like me and think I'm a pretty good person, I think I can find satisfaction. I think I can find fulfillment in that. And it promises some sort of fulfillment. But over time, you experience bondage. Everywhere I go now, I, I, I have to make sure this person's happy. Or I, I don't know how to be happy if this person isn't happy with me. And you experience disintegration. I am not an integrated self. I have to be this way to this person, but then I have to be this way to this person and this way to this person. And I'm like five different people depending on who I'm with. And we all have these areas. And, but it's, it's subtle and it's murky in life. And so this story is so good because it shows, it brings clarity. This is what Satan wants to do. Make no mistake about it. He does not want to bring pleasure or fulfillment. These things he wants to take you down with these things to lead you ultimately to something like this man. Now, obviously an extreme example. But we all have these areas in our lives. All right, so let's now consider Jesus in this story. I love him in this story. Um, first thing to notice is, of course, his power, right? Um, this is a power encounter is what this is. It's a spiritual power encounter. And what you notice is, on the one hand, Jesus is vastly outnumbered, right? He's like 2,000 to 1, vastly outnumbered. 
Um, but he is also utterly superior. He has utter authority in this passage. There's no doubt. And what I noticed this week as I was reading it, three times uh, Luke uses the word beg to describe the demons. The demons are begging him, please don't torture us. Please don't send us into the, the abyss. Begging, please send us into these pigs. So they, they recognize the superiority of Jesus. And it, it's not really a contest. He is utterly superior. And what we've seen in Luke's Gospels back in chapter 4, right? Jesus himself faced Satan in the wilderness, right? We saw the temptations in the wilderness. He was victorious over Satan. And then what he does is he comes out, being, he's ha- having achieved a victory, and now he is pronouncing the kingdom of God, and he is, he is exercising his victory over Satan. Okay? He's plundering Satan's property. This is how Jesus says it later in Luke's Gospel. Listen to this. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this, uh, you maybe, you've heard this before, but maybe you didn't understand what Jesus meant. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusts and divides up his plunder. What does that mean? Well, Satan is the strong man. He's strong and he's got possession of people. But Jesus is saying, now someone stronger is here. And I've bound the strong man and I'm now plundering his property. I'm taking back human beings for God that have become Satan's property, and I'm freeing them for God and for God's kingdom. That's what he's doing in the gospel accounts. That's what he's doing in this man's life. So you see the power of Jesus at work, but I want to focus on, on the purpose of Jesus. What is, he, what is his end game? It is to bring freedom and wholeness to this man. Look at verse 35. Okay? This, to me, this is, kind of the, this is the key. Uh, the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. Listen to this description. Sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. Okay? So, he's dressed, whereas before, there, he, he has his dignity back, essentially. He's, he's appropriate. He's dressed. Um, he's sitting. You know, that, that restlessness, that wandering that, that, that shaped his life is gone. He's settled. He's at peace. He's sitting down. And where is he sitting? He's sitting in the company of Jesus. Where before he was isolated, he was cut off from community. Now he's in the presence of Jesus and his disciples and the people. And then that last phrase I love, and in his right mind. <laughs> he has been freed from the oppressive weight of these demons. He is himself Again, Jesus has brought freedom and wholeness and integration. He has taken this beastly person and has restored the image of God in this man. And what I want to say today is that is always Jesus' endgame. That is always what Jesus is about in human beings' lives. He is there to bring freedom and wholeness, to restore the image of God. All right? To take people who are full of greed or lust or anger or whatever, resentment, all of that, and to fill them with the fruit of his spirit of love and joy. This man has joy restored him and peace. This guy gets peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, restoring the image of God, bringing freedom and wholeness. That is always his end game. And I just want to remind us of all that because I think sometimes in daily life, it doesn't feel that clear. Like when we think about what he says, what we're supposed to do with our lives, sometimes like, I don't know if that's actually going to bring freedom and wholeness. Sometimes your commands actually feel kind of limiting and restricting to me. Like that doesn't feel like it's going to bring fulfillment. 
Like Jesus is going to say, yeah, sexual activity is reserved for a marriage. Okay? He's real clear about that. And I think even our Christian culture today looks at that and goes, yeah, I don't, that doesn't feel, I don't think that's going to bring fulfillment. I'm going to kind of bypass that one. That feels very restrictive to me, Jesus. He's going to say throughout Luke, do not love money. Do not spend your life pursuing wealth. Pursue God's kingdom. And people are going to look at that and go, I don't think that's going to bring fulfillment. I think that's going to really limit my opportunities in life. Don't seek the approval of others. Jesus is very clear about that. Seek the approval of the one and only God. Jesus, that feels like suicide to me. That feels like relational suicide, right? Don't repay evil with evil, but love your enemies. Are you serious? These things in daily life can feel very limiting and restrictive. And so it's so good to see such a clear example. And just remember, I promise you, his end game is always your freedom and your wholeness every single time. Okay, this is what Jesus says himself. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is saying, I'm not trying to rob you of your joy and satisfaction in life. I'm trying to give you true and lasting joy and satisfaction. And this man is such a clear example to us. And life is not always that clear. So it's good to have clear examples every once in a while. All right, so there you have it. The spiritual battle, these two sides, and the end game of each side. I don't know how this sits with you this morning. I don't know how you feel like responding, but I, I want to throw out um, three options for each one of us. I think there's, there's three different people in this story that you might identify with, and there might be something for you to do in that, depending on who you identify with. So first, um, I'm sure many of us, in, in various ways, we actually identify with this man before um, he was freed of the demons, meaning there's an area in your life um, where there's a, a level of bondage. Um, and you, as I talked about, you know exactly what that is. There may be more than one area of life, but you would say, in this area, I relate. I experience bondage. I experience um, addiction. I experience something as, as having control over me. And maybe today is the day where you come to Jesus like in an all-out, fully surrendered way and say, you know what, Lord, I, have, I wasn't ready. I was not ready six months ago. I wasn't ready a year ago, but I am ready today. I have tried to fix this. I've tried to control this. I want to acknowledge this is not working for me. Like whatever I thought this would give me, I got sold, you know, a bill of goods that just wasn't, wasn't. This is not working, and I'm so sick of this, and I so want to be freed from this, and I can't free myself from this. It is chronic. Like there's nothing I can do, but, but I believe that you can free me. I believe that you desire to free me. And so today can be a day where you just come to him and just cry out and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And to trust that Jesus, this is the, these are the things he wants to do. He wants to do these things in our lives. And to believe that Jesus still has the power through his spirit to do that. And, you know, I got no control of this, but I just want to throw that out there. Maybe Jesus wants to heal somebody today of, of these deep, these things that you're bound by. His spirit wants to move and work in your heart and mind and bring a freedom and an integration into your life that you have not experienced in a particular area of your life. And if that is you, and if you're there, I would just encourage you just to cry out to him. And the other thing I would encourage is to talk to somebody. To talk to somebody you trust who can pray for you, who can walk with you. And I want to say, if you're not willing to talk to somebody, you're not yet ready. 
That's just the reality. I've, I've, I know people who say they're ready for something, and when push comes to shove, they're actually not ready. But you have to bring this into community. You have to bring this into trusted community where people can pray for you because it is a spiritual battle. And it's one thing to pray for ourselves. It's another thing to have the community of our friends praying for us in it and to be walking with us. So if you're ready, that's the thing I think you also need. You need to talk to somebody and you need to, you, you need to start walking together with somebody through this to experience healing. But maybe that's you today. And maybe Jesus wants to do something fresh. He's able. He's willing. All right, so maybe you identify with that man. But here's a second one. Maybe, um, maybe some of us in this room identify with the townspeople in the story. And I, th- I think that the way the story ends is quite fascinating. The townspeople, um, let me read verse 34 again. Follow along with me if you would. Um, their response to all this. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. Um, they see the man, it says they're afraid. Verse 36, those who'd seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Verse 37, then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. So they see what happens, and their response is one of fear. And I imagine they, they, they've, they've experienced the power of Jesus. You know, they've seen this guy for years, right? Crazy Crazy old Bill who was, you know, wandering around in the, in the right, in the whatever they called him. And to see the guy, like, totally, tra- that is power. And I imagine they're wondering, like, what else might that power do? You know, I, I mean, that's unbridled power. That power could do anything in our town. And then, of course, you have the, the situation with the pigs, okay? They've just lost 2,000 pigs. This is their economy, all right? So Gentile region, just to let you know, right? Pigs are in Gentile region. So this was a Gentile region. But the thousands of, what are they, denarii? I don't know what, 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 the, what the currency back then. But they've, they've lost a lot of money in this moment. And they're thinking, gosh, if Jesus were to step into this, I mean, what, other, what else is he going to do? Like, we don't know. We can't control this guy. And so their response is fear and say, well, you, we need you to move out of the town. And I think that, I imagine all of us can relate to that in, in some instance. Like, as much as I want Jesus as a part of my life, um, I'm kind of afraid to, like, give the whole thing over. Like, like I'm fine with you passing through town every once in a while. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm ready for you to totally move into town. I'm not sure if I'm ready to totally surrender. Say, so God, I surrender all because I, I don't actually know what you might do. I'm kind of scared of the changes that you might want to make. And especially in these areas of, of you know, these, these areas of bondage, these, these chronic issues that we struggle with, I think there's a part of us like, gosh, I, I want to be freed from this, um, kind of. <laughs> you know, like I, I want to be freed. Um, but at the same time, this thing does something for me. I'm doing it because it, I'm getting something out of it. And I'm kind of afraid to, to totally give the whole thing over to you, Jesus. I don't know what you might do. I'm not sure. If, I don't know if I totally trust you. Um, again, C.S. Lewis, uh, in his, his book, The Great Divorce, he has this great image of this guy who, um, who's wandering around, and he's got this lizard on his shoulder. And the lizard, it represents some sin in this guy's life, and we're not told what that. It could be anything. But he walks around with this, this kind of pet lizard that's a sin that he kind of coddles and feeds from time to time. He tries not to let it grow too big, you know. And this angel comes along and, and says, Man, do, you, do you want me to kill that? I can kill that for you. Do you want me to kill the lizard? And the guy said, well, let's not kill it. You know, maybe we just sort of feed him less. And maybe if we just ignore him, he'll kind of just be more quiet. And he won't disrupt things so much. Okay? And it's a great image of what, what we do. 
with sin. Like, we kind of coddle it. And like, I, I, I don't want this to, I don't want to be overrun by this, but I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to lose it. I don't know, Jesus, if I just sort of let you in, I don't know what that would mean. Like, right? I mean, like, go back to the people pleasing. Like, I mean, what if you just freed me from my people pleasing? I mean, what would be the implications for my relationship? I don't, I don't know what would happen if that happened. But you pick the thing. And so I just want to say, if that's you, and I think that's all of us at some, some point, just to remember that, to remember the end game. I promise you, the means might feel challenging and hard. The end game of Jesus is always your freedom, and it is always your wholeness in the deepest sense of those words. So whatever surgery he needs to do, it is for the purpose of bringing greater joy and freedom and wholeness eternally. And so we can trust him. And to just maybe this week is a, a week to have a conversation. Jesus, I don't trust you. I don't trust you, what you'll do. Um, I need you to help me. Trust you more with this. And then finally, and I'll leave you with this. uh, Maybe you identify with the man after he's healed. And maybe you look at your life and you can identify, man, I can remember what my life was like in this area, this area, this area, this area. And Jesus, you've come into my life and you have brought healing to me. You have brought freedom to me. And I love this story of the man. Um, Verse 38, look at the way the the story ends. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, now I want you to return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Uh, Again, I think this is a Gentile region and this guy's probably a Gentile. And interestingly, Jesus says, no, don't come with me. I want you to stay here. I have a role for you. I I have a vocation. I want you to be my missionary to the Gentiles in this region. I want you to be a great testimony to them of my power and my healing in your life. And, I mean, that guy had a pretty, would we acknowledge, pretty awesome testimony that guy would have had? But I I would love to actually be able to sit down with him and, like, hear his, hear the details of the testimony. Like, tell me, tell me what your mind, what did it feel like to be possessed? (laughs) Like, and to hear whatever his answer would be, man, I just lived in this constant fog. It's just, I just fog. and then Jesus kept and just brought clarity to my life. Or, you know, I, there was my heart was so restless every day. I just felt restless, restless, restless. And Jesus came in and brought just peace and rest to my heart. Um, you know what else? I mean, I was so isolated. I was so lonely. And then Jesus stepped in. And I, I was, I found community. You know, whatever that would be for this man. And each one of us, to a lesser extent, hopefully has that testimony. And so maybe you identify with that. And, and for you, it's we need to be telling the stories, not just of our salvation, which is most important, but also of our transformation, the stories of how Jesus is in the process of bringing freedom and wholeness into our lives. What are those stories for us? It might be as simple as, man, I used to care so much what everyone thought about me. I cared so much. But Jesus is freeing me. Jesus is showing me that, that he loves me no matter what. All I, have, all I have to do is please him. Like, that's the only one. I only have one person I have to care about now. That's so much easier. That's so much freer. Or, you know, I had so much, there was a lot of pain. And, and I was using this thing to numb the pain. And then Jesus, he's been freeing me from some of that pain. And freeing me from the, the chronic behaviors that I was going to to try to numb that pain. Or I lived with, I lived with a lot of resentment. I mean, I had a lot of bitterness and resentment that, I just, that, that took me down. But 
But Jesus is reminding me of the cross and how much I've been forgiven. He's starting to free me to be able to forgive as I've been forgiven. That's what we want to do so that as a, as a community, we have this sense that Jesus is on the move. He's at work today. He is powerful. He is capable even today. And certainly as people who don't know Jesus can hear these stories of not just salvation, but like practical transformation, healing and wholeness in our, in our lives. So we like, Jesus, you're at work. You're on the move. This is what you do in people's lives. So I don't know what that is for you, but I encourage you to engage with the Lord and engage with others wherever you might identify in that story. Amen? All right, let's pray, and then we'll sing to Jesus. Lord Jesus, sometimes in the midst of lives that are very complicated and murky and unclear, sometimes it's really nice to have a very clear example and to be reminded of what the end game is of our spiritual enemy and to be reminded of what your end game is. Help us to trust you. Trust that you're not trying to rob us of life, but you're trying to give us life. And I pray especially for those who are right now experiencing bondage in certain parts of their lives, brokenness, that your spirit would move in a fresh way and a deeper way to bring healing and wholeness and grace and forgiveness and mercy and help and community, Lord. Work today. Reshape us so that we are becoming those image bearers you designed us to be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.